one of our great privileges that we have, and just is the presence of God, that God has made us a place of training and sending, and, and you know, God call, has called us to this, and so we have some dear friends we're going to anoint uh, and send on a mission. So I'm just gonna announce the first one because it, it comes with a card. Um, you may have seen this out in the lobby, Ryan Denlinger, Ryan, and as I call your name, you can come up here to the stage. So Ryan, you, your penalty, you're the youngest maybe, so you're gonna stand up here longer, okay. Ryan uh, is an amazing evangelist, has an apostolic calling to Japan. Um, he's been there before, it's been on his heart since he was very young, and, uh, and we're joyfully sending him back to Okinawa, and he, he leads a, a network, works with a whole network. Japan is one of the most unreached countries in the world. Sadly, uh, after World War II, General MacArthur said, if we, you could send us 5,000 missionaries, Japan is ready to receive Jesus, and it didn't happen. But thank God, God is pouring his spirit out there, and so we're gonna be praying for and sending Ryan. We're blessed that you were able to uh, record some video evangelism training because Ryan's gone all over the world doing this. And is this on a, do you have a table in the lobby? I believe that's what Chandi told me. Anyway, if you want to pray for him, be his partner in prayer and financially, every missionary loves and needs that both, you know. And so we love you, Ryan. You've been here, we've watched you. Wherever you go, there's great fruit, there's healings and salvations. and you're just carrying it. And uh, since Ryan is young, I'm gonna read some scripture and then I'm gonna call the rest up because th just out of respect. So nobody's as old as me. So you know, just hang on. <laughs> Except for Harold and he's in heaven. No, I'm teasing you. Okay. So, um, but you know, what we're doing, we're sending with good news. Paul wrote and, you know, he's talking about the gospel is, you know, it's the preaching of the good news of Jesus and with, you know, with the mouth that reaches the heart and uh, with the heart we believe and we're justified with the mouth we confess and, and salvation comes into our life. But I, I wanna read this passage, Romans 10, 14. How then will they call on him in whom they've never believed? And how are they to believe in him who they who they've never heard, of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And so we're just delighted to send each of these ones today because Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And that's what, what we're doing here today. So the next ones I want to introduce to you are Josh and Jumana de Santiago. <laughs> Josh and Jumana lead the, the furnace of Lehigh Valley, which has been a, a prayer and worship uh, center for years. And they've, they've worked with Clear River Network in Espanol, and they've been here at Life Center as a family, and we're just delighted that next Sunday, Pentecost Sunday, uh, that the Furnace Lehigh Valley will become a, a church on Sunday morning. So bless you guys. And uh, Jumana uh, is Hispanic, 
and Arabic in background, and she's the head of the translation translators at Lehigh Valley uh, Hospital, and they just work with, with so many people. They've been working with Pastor Edgar and Yudira for years, and we just love you guys, love your family, love your spirit. And now the last one, these are precious friends, uh, Pastor Rosalio and Angela Pagaoda. They lead a church in Ventnor, New Jersey, called, it's been known as Emmanuel, but start from here on, it's going to be Emmanuel Life Center. And we've just gotten to know them. They're so dear and uh, just precious. And I'm going to say the wrong country. Is it Honduras? Yeah. Oh, I said it right. I was a false prophet. I said it right. So would you come here? So I'm telling you, these people all have an apostolic dimension to their ministry. They're amazing. Uh, the Pagaodas also, they, they have great connections in Honduras and some of the, the ministry, relief ministry and evangelism ministry that Edgar has been involved in has been through doors open through them and it's just a joy. So I would like, um, I'd like if, if uh, John, Chandi, um, Pastor Dave, Edgar, and Yadira, would you come up here? And anybody else who's, you know, you're part of the team, you want to be part of this. But we believe in this. So let's, we'll kind of center up. Yeah, and we've, we've known you all for a number of years. We've seen the sincere hearts that is behind your ministry, the fruit and the, the motivation has been impressively pure and full of power and beauty and glory. And so many have come to know the Lord. Many lives have been changed already. And it's only the beginning. So I am I'm going to lay hands on you. And as I do, I just want to say this. I'm... Jesus said, this is my favorite Great Commission passage from John 20. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So send I you in the King James. And this is what, you know, you've asked us if we would lay hands on you. And so we're laying hands on you to release this same grace that we've been sent with that has brought forth the fruit that you see here and around the world that this fruit will be uniquely yours, but it will carry this grace. And we're all going to say amen to God's calling and anointing on your life. Jesus, we thank you. We ask you the great pioneer and perfecter of our faith, the author and finisher of our faith, that you would lay hands on each of these. As we lay our human hands, you would lay your divine hands on them through us and in the spirit. And so, Ryan, it's, it's a real honor to come to this place. And we anoint you in the name of Jesus. And we lay hands on you, we commission you to do all that the Lord has called you to with greater fruitfulness than we can imagine.
with open doors, with a pure heart, with every connection and every grace, with all the resources you need, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for this mighty man of God and all that lies before him. Thank you for the heritage he carries. <laughs> Whoa, Jesus. More, more, more. Thank you for favor. Thank you for the, the many he will train and the many he will send in Japan and other nations. In Jesus' name. And we come to these amazing people. I didn't say Josh is also quite an entrepreneur, software engineer, all this kind of stuff. And uh, thank you for your heart for God and heart for his presence. Thank you for what you've seen. And it's with joy we lay hands on you and we, we just say amen to God's calling on your life. So Holy Spirit, ask that as we lay hands on Josh and Jumana, that you would lay your hand on them, on the furnace, the furnace of Lehigh Valley Church, God, that this, they would see, it'd be known as a place of signs and wonders, a place of presence and a place of miracles. Thank you for provision for the vision. Thank you that they'll never lack. Thank you that you're sending the team they need even now, God, that there's a a favor and an attraction being released there for what you're about to do up and down that valley. Thank you that this will be a multicultural center that will look like heaven. Father, blessing, blessing, blessing. We thank you for the huge harvest among the Arab-speaking people, among Muslims. Thank you for the grace and the beauty and the, the blending of cultures, Latino culture, American Anglo culture, every culture represented in that valley, God, that this would become the culture of heaven. Jesus' name, thank you. More, 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 God, more. Wisdom and grace. And there's there's gonna be a house of prophecy, a house where people walk in and get downloads from heaven, doors open, God, for, it, um, for all these spheres of influence, God, thank you for provision. God just says thank you for your heart for the poor. Thank you that you've made room for his presence and you have room in your heart for the poor and needy. Thank you, Father. Thank you for Rosalio and Angela. God, thank you again. There's a family heritage here and God is just saying Thank you for faithful service. Thank you for your tender submission, God. Thank you that your heart is poured out in them and through them. God, we bless them even as they've asked if they could be part of the Life Center family. God, we bless that name, that, the, that it will be Emmanuel, God with us, Life Center, God, that there will be life, 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 that you'll draw many to them Many spiritual sons and daughters, thank you for the impact they've had on the town and on all the, uh, all strata of culture and society there, God. We just pray your blessing for, of liberty and freedom in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Can you say amen? Amen. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. 
Okay. Thank you, dear ones. Thank you. Thank you. I want to welcome all the, all the guests who've come with Pastor Rosalio and Angela. We just welcome you. It's good to be here. Okay. Um, I, I want to, I have a message today on being a voice of life in a culture of death. And we live in a culture that is you know, there's a culture of death in high places in, uh, you know, we've got a majority of the U.S. Congress that would vote um, to see abortion be a right in the U.S. Not, not of both houses, but of one house. That's, that's horrible. It doesn't reflect the, the true culture of the American people. But um, you know, it's a spiritual battle we're fighting. It's not about uh, one party or another, but it's about life, you know, that, and we have, a, you are, and I am a voice of life in the midst of this culture. And so we want our voice to be heard. The human voice carries with it the image of God and the potential, your voice, because the Holy Spirit lives inside you, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your voice has the potential to be the voice of life in the midst of every situation. How we respond, what we say to the world around us is, is a, a divine calling on our life at this moment. We're like, when Jesus was in the storm, Mark uh, 4.39 says, he awoke. The disciples thought like, did he forget? You know? And they woke him up and when he awoke, he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And God waits for our voice to speak into situations. We, I've used this analogy before, but we're called to be thermom thermostats, not thermometers. Now, a thermostat has to be aware of the thermometer. But what the thermostat does when, when, the, when the thermometer is outside of its proper range, the thermostat releases a switch that brings energy, that brings it back into where it's meant to be. And I just want to say that we're called and blessed by God that our voice would function as a thermostat in the midst of a culture that's off, key, off keel. So the, uh, this is important to know, you know, because your voice has the potential to be the voice of life. And Paul asks this question. I mean, he makes this statement. I'm, this is my last message that will be on Romans 8 for this season that I've been camping in Romans 8 for weeks and weeks, but um, Romans 8 gives us this statement, Romans 8, 1, there, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free. You've all been set free. The Holy Spirit's called the spirit of life. And you are the temples of the Holy Spirit. That means the spirit of life dwells inside you. And uh, and then he, he goes on in, in verse six, down, jump down to verse six, he says, if we have our mind set on the flesh, which we could just say the flesh, you could call it the sinful nature, but it, the flesh is what is narrowly human. Like if you live as a total materialist, like there's no 
resources available to you outside of your own humanity and the material world around you. That is the mind set on the flesh. It's the natural way of looking at things without light and life from the spirit. But to, if, to set the mind on the spirit is life. This is Zoe, God kind of life and peace. And so as we set our mind on the spirit, then what comes into our consciousness and into our heart is life and peace. And so this issue of what we're going to say in the situation, what we're going to say as thermostats, not thermometers, we're not going to complain we may recognize the problems, but rather than just discussing the problem endlessly with no hope, which gets very depressing, God has given us a, a, a better alternative. Romans 8.31, this is review, but Paul asks, what will we say to these things? And he's gone all through chapter eight discussing the amazing promises of God, God's commitment that as we love him and we're called according to his purpose, that all things will work for good for us, that he's predestined us, he's called us, he foreknew us, he's all of these amazing words. Then he says, because of all this, in spite of the suffering, what will we say? And you can see it on the screen in those big, huge letters. What will we say to these things? Why don't we read this together? If God is for us, who can be against us? And so what shall we say to these things? He asks these five important questions. One is, it, it doesn't matter what the opposition is, the opposition is irrelevant. That's the point of that purpose. If God is for us, that trumps everything. He's the creator and sustainer of the universe. He knew you, he called you by name, he redeemed you, and you're his. So, the, the, you know, it doesn't matter who's against you, it matters who's for you. The second question, verse 32, if God, if, uh, he who did not spare his own son, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So this is the question of provision. God has called you to something, but you say, but I don't have, I don't have what it takes. I don't have the money. I don't have the, the resources. I don't have the partners. I don't have, I need, God, I need, I need, I need. And so he asks this question. Look, if he did not spare his son, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And so this tells us that provision is there. God makes everything available to us that's part of our assignment, part of our calling. So it's so good to lay hands on these ones today that because within their assignment, they have everything they need. Within your assignment, you have everything you need. In my assignment, I have everything I need. It may not be at my timing. <laughs> it may not be the way I expected. But in, if I stay put in my assignment, every single thing that's needed, all things have been given to us within the realm of God's calling on our life. I can't just go take anything I want in the world that, because some things are outside of my assignment. You know, I might like a, a, a wonderful castle in England, but it's not part of my assignment. I might like a, my own private island in the Caribbean. It's not part of my assignment. I might like, you know, I saw a Bentley the other day and I thought, wow, that's a beautiful car. 
And, and I guess if it was part of my assignment or I had that kind of just discretionary cash, I could get one and I'd be happy. Some of you might be offended, but um, probably not. You, you, have, you would recognize, okay, God is in this. But I just know within my assignment, I have everything I need, hallelujah. So I never have the excuse, God, I would do it, but I don't have, anyway. And then instead, we might say, God, where's the stuff? And he might give you an answer, okay. And that's a legitimate prayer, okay. The next question, who shall bring any charge, verse 33, against you? <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter who brings a charge against you because God is for you. <laughs> and Christ has justified you. You know, it's like, oh my gosh. So, there, so accusation, you know, the, the issue is, well, these accusations have come against me. Well, you know, Jesus said, when men say all manner of things against you falsely, rejoice and be glad. You know, it's like, if, if I'll do what he tells me to do, I know that it's not an issue if some people are making accusations against me. Now, if it's my own fault, I might be in big trouble. Verse 34, who is to condemn? In other words, there's no one who can judge against you because God has already judged for you, and it is Christ who is interceding for us, hooray, you know, so. And then the last question is about separation. Like, well, God, I just, I don't feel close to you. Well, how we feel isn't necessarily what's real. And so, the uh, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he goes through this whole list of terrible things that are actually, now notice the question is not what, it's who. So the who on that, is the fact that a lot of times when you're moving into your assignment, you're moving in the things God's called you to, sometimes there are spirits that bring these, these oppositions, these troubles, these trials. Paul talks about, he says, that the enemy has blocked me, but I've persevered. So when the, he's blocking, we have to know this, that none of that resistance separates us from the love of God. You know, he's just saying, keep going. Keep going, get in there. Who shall separate us from the love of God? No, in verse 37, so do these actually, I mean, it gets really bad in verse 36, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed. How often? All the day long. Oh my gosh. How are we regarded as sheep to be slaughtered? God, this doesn't seem like a good thing. And but, it, but the next verse answers and says, no, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. And so Jesus, I mean, because, how can we be more than conquerors? If we're conquerors, we win. If we're more than conquerors, it's like we win and we didn't have to fight, the, we didn't have to fight the decisive battle that was already done for us in Christ. So we're riding on his victory and we end up as being more than conquerors through him who loved us. And that it's always through him. It's never through how smart we are, how tough we are, anything like that. You might get smart and tough in the battle, but that won't be what causes you to win. It's because he already won for us. His work is finished. We're just entering into it. So thank you. And then he goes on in verse 38 and says, I'm sure that neither death nor life, angels or rulers, present." The things present, things to come, powers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and then it says, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So what kind of love is that? This is that God so loved the world that he sent his only 
begotten son. You know, so this is the love of God that we're guaranteed we can never be separated from it. We can feel separated from it, but that's on our part, not his part. Jesus, thank you very much. And so what, you know, being the voice of life in the culture of death, we need to know these things and we need to know that, that our words, what we say is really important if we're gonna be the voice that brings great peace and calm in the storm. If we're gonna be the voice that changes the atmosphere and we're a thermostat instead of a thermometer, then we need to know some things. You know, we, we read it before, Romans 8, 6, the mind, set the mind on the spirit, it's life and peace. Now here's some really important, when we set our mind on the spirit, it's life and peace, and that fills our heart. Because what we set our mind on will fill the core of our being. Because when we set our mind on the spirit, we get revelation. We get life. We, get, we are partaking of the divine nature. We're, you know, we could call it soaking. We could call it a lot of things. It's, we could call it Christian contemplation or meditation that we're just, we're in his presence. We can call it true worship, which you can actually do without music or anybody else around, you know, or it can be with all of that. The, this is what it means to have our mind set, focus. What's our focus? And so John, um, John 6, 63 talks about the power of what we say. It is the spirit who gives life. That's why, we, you know, when, when we are hosting the Holy Spirit in our minds, in our words, in our hearts, in our bodies, then the spirit is giving life. He's the Lord and giver of life. This is the Nicene Creed. And, and it says the flesh is no helpful at all. And then Jesus says this, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And so there's something that happens when we speak now you may not, you know, not every word I speak will be full of spirit and life, right? But Jesus said, my words are spirit and life, which means our words are containers. They're, they're called seeds. You know, Mark chapter four, the sower sows the word. The word of God is the seed. And so there's something that happens when we speak, our words contain something. It's part of the image of God, that our words are creative. They're not creative without him, but they are creative to a degree within creation. Many human beings, have a, they, they picture something in their imagination. This is the image of God. They begin to communicate what they picture either through word, words spoken words or written words and that communication goes to others at like a seed and it, it causes this thing to develop and pretty soon you have something that didn't exist before. I mean, sometimes somebody could do it all by themselves, but it's like pretty small. But something big, you need a team. And I mean, what happens is your words inspire, your words gather, your words empower. This is spirit and life that's being transmitted as what the vision that's in your heart overflows through your words. And sometimes we find ourselves speaking things we're not even aware of that they are carrying the very words of God, which is that, have you ever found that, that you've been in a conversation with someone and then later they come and say, you know, we were talking and you just said this thing and man, I couldn't get it out of my mind and now my life has changed. 
Well, that's what happened was you were just talking, but God was talking with you and through you. You know, and some, I mean, we would be pretentious if we think our batting average is 100%. Jesus had 100%. You know, <laughs> you know, you could hit a few home runs and have a terrible batting average, you know. So just because you get, some, but it is to encourage you that as your heart is fixed on him, that there's life and peace and, you know, it's just coming out of you. It's, um, so John, Jesus talks about this in John 3.34. For he whom God has sent. And see, if you're in your, if you're in your assignment, you're sent. There, I mean, you don't have to be, quote, called an apostle to have an apostolic dimension in your life. Because there's a sending forth. God has an assignment for you. And so it says, the one whom God has sent now, I'm reading from the ESV, it says utters, which is a terrible translation. Every other, utter sounds like, I don't know, it sounds like mumbling or it sounds like some guy back in a cave going blah, blah, blah. And anyway, this is my personal opinion. So I know that the translation committee hasn't called me up, but every other translation has speaks. The one, for, for he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. Now that's talking about Jesus. What's interesting, the word translated speaks there talks about one of its, its informal speech. It's like every day you're just having a conversation and if God has sent you in that conversation, there will be words of God that you can speak without even knowing it. And sometimes you're aware of it, you know, and then you could get really like, Thus saith the Lord. You can say it like that, or you could just say, I feel that, you know, I feel impressed that blah, 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 blah. Or sometimes it might just be so enmeshed in your thinking that you're not even aware that it's a word from God, and you find out later all the fruit that came out of it. Amen? See, you can be the voice of life in a culture of death without even knowing it. You know, Jesus, I mean, this is what. Why? Because we, I, we already quoted this when we were praying for our friends here. Jesus said to them, peace be with you, shalom be with you. You've got everything you need. As the Father has sent me, uh, even so I am sending you. And so there's a, a sense in which that he, he sends us into our assignment. And he loved us, you know, with the same love the Father has loved him with, he's loved us with, and then he tells us to love one another with that same love. In fact, he even tells us to love our enemies with that same love. Help us, Jesus. And, but here's what happens. When, when we hear his word and we have eternal life, when you are speaking the words of God and someone's hearing them, that same transmission of spirit and life is taking place. Um, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment but pass from death to life. You can preach the gospel through your life in your conversations. Sometimes it's formal. You can present the Romans road. You can present, I led my father to the Lord just by reading 
First John chapter five, this is the record. God has given his life. Whoever has the son has life. The life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever has not the son does not have life. I said, Dad, do you know that you have the son? And he said, nope. I said, would you like to? He said, yes. <laughs> and so he went from, because I asked him, Dad, you're gonna die, because he had been in a health crisis. I wasn't prophesying, but you could have died a couple weeks ago. You're gonna die someday. If you had died, do you know where you would have gone? And he said, nope. I don't know if I would have gone down and been with the devil or up and been with God. Well, I, that was good, because I understood, okay, at least he has a framework to work with. And then the scripture just popped up, and he, you know, this was, but I'm telling you, this happens more often than you know. Sometimes, I mean, I had this experience the other day, that a, an Amazon delivery girl, I'm gonna call her girl, woman, you know, she, I mean, she was old enough to drive and work for Amazon, but she, she came and she rang the doorbell and she said, hey, I was supposed to put this in the garage, but the, the Amazon app isn't working and I wanted to make sure you got it and it wasn't left there. She was really friendly and you know, she was charming. She was, uh, I, my guess, I don't know, it's, she was Latino, uh, Latina of some extraction and so she's going back to her Amazon truck in a hurry, but I was so impressed with her excellence. I just said, hey, what's your name? And she said, Esther. And then I just said, well, bless you, Esther. And you know, if I was really like with, maybe I would have said, oh, for such a time as this, you know, but she said her name was Esther. And as soon as I said, bless you, it just came out of me. I wasn't thinking like, or I would have said, God bless you, you know, but I just said, bless you. That's what popped out. And, and as soon as I said, bless you, she stopped and turned and she said, amen. And it was like, wow, I refreshed her and I didn't even know it. And I thought, man, if I would have thought, I could have said, Esther, for such a time as this, you know, and could have given her a prophetic word. But you know what? I gave her a word of life. Could see that by the, the, the response. I'm telling you, you do it way more than you know you do. So we want to, you know, so we, we just want this, you know, we want whatever's in our heart, the overflow, Matthew 12, 34, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks so that what we spend our time, if we're thinking about how messed up the church is and how messed up church people are and how defective the leaders are and how defective my, you know, whoever my next door neighbor is and stuff, that's what's going to come out of our mouth. This is not life and light. Now, it may be true, they're messed up, but you know what, it's kind of the thing where you point the finger, you got three pointing back at you. you know? It's like, well, maybe I should start with myself. You know? the, uh, and I'm just saying, it's like, God, keep our eyes on the promises of God, not on what's defective in everyone around us. Guess what, we all have stuff to work on. But none of us are really the Holy Spirit. But if our heart's on God, then out of our mouth's gonna come spirit and life that might set someone free from what's messed up. Yeah. Amen. Anyway, you got it. That, that's good. But here, here's... I just, you know, here's what's happening. Your words carry eternal life. John 5, 24 Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. So, so in other words, now, of course, this is Jesus talking about himself. But how many of you have Jesus living in you? Oh, good. Okay. You know, and like, 
in this world, John 4, 17, we are like him. You know, it's like, it's like there, there is, if we're living with Christ in us and we're in Christ, then many of these things Jesus says about himself are actually true in the dynamic of our life. We're always the creature, he's the creator, but I'm telling you, if, if we're, you know, we are, our goal and our end and, and our perfection is that we're conformed to his image so that he might be the firstborn of many brethren. And that includes sisters too, you know, but so it's this thing, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. What if you realize that God is speaking through me and this is also true for the things that you speak? You may not be aware of them, but because you were sent and you were sent by God and someone hears your word, that as they hear, something opens up in them and they come to faith. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's not my work. That's not your work. Hallelujah. Okay. Man, this is kind of fun. So, but now this is going to take me about five minutes, so give me a little more time. But all this has to do with keeping our heart clear, like not being confused in our heart, like I want this, I want that, I want this, I want that, you know, but it's just like, God, I give thanks in all things. I'm content. I know you've called me to great things, and I want what you want for me. And I know our friend Bill Johnson says, God says, well, what do you want? Well, what I want is what he wants. As a deer pants for the water, so my heart longs and thirsts for you. That's what I want. Like everything else, I know he's a blesser and there's blessings and things, but I actually, you know, except for those moments when it's like, oh, we have to make a decision. Do we want this or that? Then what I want's important. But I don't want to walk around saying, well, you know, I'm bummed out because by I thought by my age I would at least have done this or done that or have this or have that. It's like, don't go there. Be thankful. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all things. When you say thank you, it just sets you free from all kinds of self-pity. Because some of that, even though you're like, well, I should have been here, I should have been there, that's, just, uh, that's dressed up self-pity. It is, and it's self-defeating. Like, hey, you know what? I'm in your presence, that's where I'm called to be. <laughs> Come on, if you don't feel like you're where you're supposed to be, just you know, get in a room and worship and give thanks and pray and you'll end up where you're supposed to be. I can guarantee it. You will keep him in perfect peace, Isaiah 26, three, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. The great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can by any means stumble them. That's Psalm 119, verse 165. That's a really long chapter. But I mean, it's like, God, I'm not in your great peace. I'm messed up. It's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my brother, not my sister, it's me. Help me, Lord. That's the best prayer you can pray. Help. The second, or maybe the best prayer is thank you, and the second best prayer is help. And sometimes you just need to pray, help. God, help me. And he will. He's our helper. Okay, so, but sometimes there's stuff in our hearts we don't know about. And this is the part, if you'll give me five minutes. So I had this experience when I was 26 years old. Um, 
25 years old. It was, it was May, it was, or spring, it might have been May or June of 1976, and I had been an intern at this Assembly of God Church in Los Gatos, California, that, um, and one of my jobs, the pastor, whose name was Victor Trimmer, a great man of God, he, he said, well, there's this old lady's Bible study, sorry, they were younger than I am now, but they, they, to me, at the ripe old age of 25, they seemed pretty old, and so, so um, my job was to teach them. I said, well, what am I supposed to teach them? A women's Bible study? Like, hey, I've only been a Christian four years, you know, I was a hippie and all this stuff, and he goes, oh, I'll teach them anything you want. So I taught him about the kingdom of God. I taught him all the stuff, like just like I was with my friends, you know, like we were radical for Jesus. So I taught it and they loved it. And, but part of my job was I had to, some of them didn't drive, so I had to pick them up in the church van and then I'd take them home in the church van. So I got to spend a lot of time with these nice, sweet, old church ladies. And, uh, and, you know, and one day they were talking, they were all excited. And I could, and I heard, Governor Reagan. And I thought, like, what are they talking about, Governor Reagan? And I got a little closer and they say, Do you know, ah, this was, I guess the primaries were happening sometime. California primaries, I think, are in early June. So they said, Yeah, you know, um, Governor Reagan might get the nomination for president. And he didn't, but he did four years later in 1980. And inside me, at the mention of his name, was like, like, in, in today's lingo, you could say I was triggered. You know, I was like, and, and, and I was shocked. I didn't manifest. I didn't break any windows, burn down any buildings, didn't, you know. Um, but I, I, I was triggered, and so I, I had to drive a couple of the ladies home, and I was shocked, because I loved Jesus. You know, I'd been saved, like, four years, you know, five years, and I was really saved, and all my friends were like radical, you know, uh, Christians, and so, so when I got back to the church, I went in a room by myself, and I said, God, where did that come from? And he gave me a picture, and I saw something that happened when I was 17 years old. I went to University of California at Berkeley, the fall of 1968, and that entire year was one riot after another. Fall of 1968, Eldridge Cleaver was teaching sociology 121X. It was an experimental course. He had no academic qualifications. He was teaching on violent revolution, how to burn down buildings, how to blow things up, how to disrupt the system. It's pure Marxism. That's what he was teaching. And so the, the protest was because this was an unaccredited course. Thus, sociology 121X meant it was without credit. So this turned into huge riot, riots and protests, and they burned down one of the most beautiful buildings. Didn't burn it down because it was made out of stone, but they burned down this huge, the largest lecture hall on the campus. Uh, it's Cowell. Cowell Auditorium, carved mahogany ceilings, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. The next, the winter quarter, we had the Third World Liberation Fronts. All the liberation fronts got together. You hear a term there, liberation front, that means Marxism. But anyway, they're all, they were on strike, shut it down, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. I'm trying to go to class, you know, I don't know what's going on. I'm testing the waters. I'm looking like, well, maybe these people have the answers. They were angry. Oh my gosh, those SDS guys. And they're in a lot of our institutions now, you know, which explains a lot of things. But the, because uh, they're my age, you know. And uh, 
But so I'm going to class, I'm seeing people beat up, I'm seeing riot police, dogs, tack, San Francisco talk squad, all this stuff. And there was Holy Hubert preaching the gospel, defending the students against the police being batons and all this stuff. And so, but the spring came and it was the doozy. Uh, two blocks from where I lived was this vacant lot. It was a mud parking lot. And um, sometime in the spring, I don't know if it was April, May, um, you know, it, it was just dirt and it was owned by the university. But suddenly, one day, like there, were, there was, you know, like a small bulldozer out there, probably today they'd use a little smaller machine, and then and then trucks started arriving with sod, and we when we and was birthed this little park called People's Park. People, all these loads of sod were appearing out of nowhere. Years later, I found out they were supplied by the Amer by the CPUSA, Communist Party of America, and now. Keep going, next slide, we'll go through these quickly. But anyway, once it, you know, there were flowers planted, little brick pathways, stone soup pots set up, and everybody's happy, and there's musicians playing, and there's some people dancing in the street. Okay, next slide. So it seemed like paradise, except after about three weeks, and there were warnings, like, you know, this is illegal, this belongs to the university, it's, it's not, and all the junkies off of, Telegraph Avenue were up there, passed out and stuff. So one night in the middle of the night, in May, at three o'clock in the morning, it was warm, the windows were open, I heard someone crying, the pigs are coming, the pigs are coming. It was like Paul Revere's right. All my apologies to all law enforcement officers, but that's, those were the words I used. And I woke up and like, oh no, you know, so three o'clock, put on my pants, go down the street, and this is in the daytime, but it started in the middle of the night, they had... They had uh, like graders going around the perimeter, drilling holes, and by, by morning they were putting up the chain link fence and I'm crying like, oh, the dream is gone. They've paved paradise, put up a parking lot. Next sign. And so everybody was upset. Next, next slide. And here's a sweet little old lady. Go see the People's Park. It, you know, it's at Bowditch and Dwight. And, and it, you know, let's not let this, be dis, this wonderful creative thing be destroyed. So, so there's always a sentiment behind it. So, but, you know, basically we were useful idiots. Next slide. So at noon, this, I forget this guy's name, but he was elected student body president of the for the next year at Berkeley, and he's giving a speech saying, this is outrageous, we can't let this happen. By the way, this connects to Governor Reagan because he was the head of the Board of Regents of the University of California, and he's, and he's getting everybody riled up, and I'm watching this scene. Man, I've already seen a bunch of angry students do a lot of stupid things, and so I'm kind of an observer, and he, gets, he reads the last line that he spoke, but the speech went on, and he said, we need to go and take it back, and then he paused, and everybody went down the street, down Telegraph Avenue, next slide. And they were breaking windows and uh, on mom and pop businesses that had nothing to do with People's Park and it was just like mob action, everybody's upset. Well, the police were ready for them and so here's the students and, and you can see the tear gas that's being shot by canisters. The highway patrol had these shotguns that would shoot. Tear gas canisters pretty far, next slide. And, uh, and some... You know, some of the students in all the melee, they fell, you know, this guy fell and got, uh, broke it, his, uh, he had a head injury that was bleeding profusely. I happened to see this guy, I didn't take this picture. But next slide, and I'm just observing, this is a little further uh, south on, 
on Telegraph Avenue, looking toward the campus, you can see the Campanile, that's the symbol of UC Berkeley, there in the back. I don't know why it says showtime, but that's kind of appropriate, because that's what it was. You can see a burning car, so what happens is the crowd gets around the car, and they rock the car, rock the car, until it tips over, and then they throw a match on the gas that's going out inside, like, and the amazing thing, the Berkeley police were very restrained, because they, you know, they, it was their hometown. And I talked to a, a guy, he was hot, man, he was mad. I said, what happened? He said, well, I was in a car and the crowd got around us and they rocked the car, rocked the car and they tipped us over. They wouldn't let us out of the car. We're trying to get out of the car. They're keeping the car door closed, rocked the car over and we got, and now we're upside down in a police car leaking gas and we pulled our guns. And they got out of the car alive because the next, you know, two minutes later, the car was, looked like that. Next slide. So here's, here's a friendly, I think this is a Berkeley policeman. He's wearing a gas mask. Looks weird, doesn't it? Okay, this was my freshman year at UC Berkeley. Okay, here's some friendly National Guards. These are young guys. They're just called in from the National Guard. They were mobilized a few days before all this happened because they, uh, they had intel. And they're driving down the street. Uh, that looks like University Avenue going by the university there. And that's... That's military-grade tear gas they're pumping out of the back of that thing. Next slide. Whew. And the, you can see the tear gas in the air. And those guys with shotguns were the Alameda County Deputy Sheriffs. Most of them got fired. The sheriff got fired. These guys were bad. They hated hippies. That's why the sheriff hired them. And they have shotguns. And supposedly they're shooting birdshot. Next slide. And, uh, but actually, a, a young artist up on a rooftop uh, who was a, fa a father of a baby was killed. Another was blinded. Uh, here's the thing, like, I tried to go to the student union to buy papers so I could finish my term papers that were due, and there'd be National Guardsmen told, don't let any students in. And you notice they have bayonets. None of them use them, thank God. You know, but so, so turn the slide. And here's a military helicopter kind of in the middle of the left of that, and it's flying over the campus releasing tear gas. They did this to disperse the crowds. Next slide. And uh, because this is what's going on, confrontation, all kinds of stuff, it was like a war. And so God brings this back to my mind when I said, God, where did this come from? Now, I got out of town because there was supposed to be this massive confrontation on Memorial Day weekend, and I thought, I do not want to be in Berkeley for a massive confrontation. At all. And there were a lot of bad stuff happened, and I hitchhiked up to the Sierras because I thought, I'm gonna surprise my parents, but I ended up, ended up in the high country of Yosemite National Park, Tuolumne Meadows, almost 9,000 feet elevation, and that night I had an encounter with God. Like, I didn't know his name, but I had an encounter with God, which I've talked about before. But I'm just saying, sometimes stuff gets in our heart that we don't know is there. You know, this was 1976. Seven years later, I loved Jesus. I'd been baptized in the Holy Spirit, been baptized in water. I'd had people pray for me for deliverance and inner healing and stuff, and this thing pops up. And see, it, I mean, at least I recognize, hey, this is foreign. This isn't the Holy Spirit. And I asked the Lord, where did it come from? And he, he showed me just being there. Sometimes we hear things. We take a second-party offense. That's what I figure must have happened to me. You know, some of my friends got shot. They were in the wrong place at the wrong time, but shot with bird, shot one of my friends who was legally blind. He could see, but he couldn't see very well, couldn't read signs, got shot through the calf with buckshot, and thank God it didn't hit his, his bone. 
But this was like a weird world to throw 17 and 18 year olds in. And I'm just saying, we have a culture now that almost like we were manipulated in that. And you can read David Horowitz's book called Radical Son, and he, he was very involved in that, in the radical left, and he became, he, what he saw horrified him, and he, he described a lot of the, the, the agenda and where the money came from behind it. And so we're living in a culture where people are being manipulated, and we have the opportunity to be the voice of life. Like, not to, not to condemn them like, I hate you, but to just listen and ask the Lord, where did that come from? Where did that from, come from? Because I, th- this stuff's a spirit, and we have the Holy Spirit. And so who can, be, who can accuse us? It doesn't matter. Christ Jesus has died for us, you know, and he's justified us. And so I just would like you to stand, and, you know, he's sent forth his word, and he sent forth his word into your mouth and into my mouth, but sometimes things happen where stuff comes up. So I just pray, let's pray, and, and we'll be dismissed very quickly. Holy Spirit, would you just come here and deliver us? from any junk we've picked up along the way. And the issue isn't who's right or who's wrong, but the issue is what spirit is this? God, deliver us from manipulation that's above our pay grade that we don't even understand. Just deliver us, pinpoint those places where the enemy would bring a judgment in us or let that judgment sit, that our words would be words of life. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would not only deliver us, but you would now anoint us and equip us. And if something is stirred up in you, some of you may be, you know, incidents or conversations or situations may be rising up. I don't want to short circuit that. You want you want God to deal with that and set you free. And you, you could come up afterwards or you can come up now if you want people to agree with you in prayer. Some of you just getting delivered by saying, oh, I recognize that. I'm out of here. I don't receive it. And uh, may God let your Holy Spirit, let your blood wash over us. God, fill us and equip us to be the voice of life in the midst of a culture of death. God, we thank you that the earth will be filled with your glory as surely as the waters cover the sea. And we freely confess we don't understand everything about history, about all of these things, but we do have within us your spirit. Could you just just say, Holy Spirit, fill me with life. Fill me with love so that what comes out of my mouth is life and love. I pray you'd release power, God, that there would be an anointing on us, that we would receive power, that we would be your witnesses wherever we go, that we would declare good news, that our feet would be lovely on every mountain. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right. (laughs) So, yay, Jesus.
May the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. May you know that he's looking at you with love in his eyes, waiting to hear your requests, your prayers, your confessions. And may his peace be upon you, shalom upon you, as you bear his name into the world. So I, I want to dismiss you. If you have kids, please pick up your children. I've got the sign up. That means I'm in, I'm in the penalty box now. Okay. So you go get your kids. I apologize. And I'm inviting you to come forward for prayer. There's healing here. There's power here. There's deliverance here. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you.